welcome back on in to the week eight preview with the sporting intelligence crew. I'm Ethan Weiss. I'm here with Pat Higgins and Pat. We are over a third of the way through the NFL season now, and we're really starting to, to heat up. I had a nice, um, you know, emotionally stressless Sunday, not having to watch my Cardinals. I did too. Eagles were on a bye, so uh, they, they remain undefeated and we keep, we keep beating on the fills, but the Phillies are moving on to the World Series. So, still got nice things in here, here in Philadelphia, and we gotta, we gotta cherish the times while we have them. Oh yeah, Astros are gonna be a tough matchup, but uh, I'm definitely, uh, definitely riding with you and, and the Philly boys out there. Yeah, it's uh, there's a little thing called karma coming around for guys who uh, cheat the system over and over again, and it's not coming to the yeah. Phillies. <laughs> hey, two of the hottest bats in baseball at a pretty, pretty good time. Um, to get hot uh, before we dive into the um, week seven recap and the week eight preview. I want to uh, remind people to uh, follow us on Twitter at sport. I N T E L L G N C E. You can find us by searching sporting intelligence, subscribe to our weekly newsletter, which is released every Friday morning. That has great data visualizations and matchup analysis um, for the upcoming week that comes from the dashboards on our website, sporting-intelligence.com, where if you go sign up right now before the start of kickoff on Sunday, uh, you can sign up for a free one-month trial to get our matchup analysis dashboard, our player statistics dashboard, and our model plays. Um, so yeah, just a reminder to go sign up for that free trial. But uh, Pat, let's dive in. Uh, let's start with our flowers. Uh, who are you giving flowers to this week? Yep, it's going to seem a little uh, a little counterintuitive or a little obvious, but I'm giving flowers to Patrick Mahomes this week, and I'm evenly distributing the remainder of the flowers to Juju Smith-Schuster, Marquez Valdez-Scantling, and Travis Kelsey for their performances on Sunday. So they're getting flowers for their performance, and then I'm giving Juju Smith-Schuster an extra flower for his off-the-field Um antics it looks like i went on his i don't spend a lot of time on tiktok but i went on his tiktok this afternoon and it's looking like he's really toned things down he's he it, it seems like he's really refocusing on his nfl career now that he's in kansas city and he got chased out of pittsburgh and it's it's really good to see i'm happy for him um, sporting intelligence we give you the uh the deep the deep insights here yeah quick quick tiktok analysis uh no but so so back to mahomes and the chiefs everyone this year is is you know obviously obsessed with uh, josh allen and the bills i think everyone in you know the you know across the nfl would be rooting for the bills to make a deep run bills mafia is such a rabid fan base they're a really easy team to root for and uh, I, admittedly so, I, I'm rooting for them as well to come out of the AFC. Um, so Josh Allen and the Bills have been getting all the love this year, but um, I, I just want to shine some light and give some flowers to Pat Mahomes to remind him and the rest of the league that he's doing a really got, good job this year. Um, last week against San Fran on the road against a really tough defense and off a tough loss at home in a super hard-fought hard slugfest against the Bills, Mahomes threw for 423 yards and three touchdowns against one of the league's top pass rushes and Defenses in general. Obviously, San Fran had some cluster injuries going in on defense in this matchup, and they were coming off a, a trip out to the East Coast. But Mahomes led the Chiefs back from a 10-0 deficit early in the game, uh, steadied the ship, and led the Chiefs to uh, touchdown scoring drives on six of their next seven drives after throwing a pick on the first drive of the game. Um, so it, it's good to see the Chiefs bounce back and climb out of a 10-0 hole. And just, you know, zooming out to more of a macro sort of theme that I'm seeing with the Chiefs. Obviously, obviously they lost Tyree Kill in the offseason. He accounted for a ton of their offensive production. But Mahomes has the Chiefs ranked in the top five in nearly, you know, every offensive metric that we track. And he, he's done a really good job over the last few weeks in particular building rapport with uh, Juju Smith-Schuster in particular and, you know, the rest of the, the new receivers that the Chiefs brought in to try to replace Tyree Kill. Um, Juju obviously got, you know, he had a lot of, a lot of negative, you know, flat coming against him being in Pittsburgh and being active on TikTok. but you really can't argue that he's an unbelievably talented athlete. He was a highly touted, you know, draft pick coming out of USC and he was probably over criticized in Pittsburgh for his, you know, social media activity, but it looks, it's looking like he's settled in, in Kansas city in that offense 
and is going to be a big part of that offense down the stretch. He's got 12 catches for 237 yards and two TDs over the last two weeks coming up on his you know first full season in Kansas City and Andy Reid's offense at the midpoint of the season. So again, I don't think anybody's discounting the Chiefs and Pat Mahomes, but I just wanted to give him some flowers to remind him that uh, he's still one of the best quarterbacks in the league. Yeah, very well deserved. And and you brought up a great point about when they were down 10 nothing. And one thing watching that game that I thought was super interesting, there's not many teams that you watch and are just completely unfazed or unworried when they go down 10 points. And when the Niners went up 10 points, it was like, oh, okay, like the Niners came to play. But it was never like, oh my gosh, this could totally slip out of control for the Chiefs. You, you Just watching that game, watching Mahomes take the snaps under center, it just always feels like they're in the game. And that's not something that is very common around the league. Yep, so flowers to Mahomes. I hope he likes them. I'm going to give my flowers to a guy we talked extensively on last week's show, and boy, did he deliver. And that is Mr. Joe Burrow of the Cincinnati Bengals throwing up a nice stat line of 481, three touchdowns and a rushing touchdown on 81% passing. Um, that is a huge stat line. And, you know, we, we had a feeling this was coming, but boy, did he deliver. And, and the Bengals offense looks like it's absolutely firing. But he was able to spread the ball around. He had two receivers over 130 yards with Chase and Boyd and also at Higgins at 93. He had seven different different receivers who caught at least two or more passes. looking you know, from start to finish, just looked completely in control of the offense of the entire game. The first drive of the game, they come out firing with a 60 yard touchdown to Tyler Boyd. They scored touchdowns on their first four drives of the game and controlled the ball um, in the fourth quarter. At the end of the game, they controlled the ball for the last eight minutes and 44 seconds, controlling the clock, picking up first downs, and then kneeling the ball out. Just complete domination from start to finish from the Cincinnati offense, which is starting to look like the offense we were kind of promised and looking forward to at the beginning of the season. Um, It's the offense that led this team to the Super Bowl last year, and it's really, really fun to watch when they're firing on all cylinders like they were this past week against the Falcons. They are heading into a tough divisional matchup on the road against the Browns um, in this coming week. And so, you know, with the Ravens getting a win, uh, we talked about how tight the AFC is and and their division as well. Um, this was a huge game um, for the Bengals at home. And, you know, Burrow delivered a near-perfect performance. Yep, it, it was a win that they should have had. And, they, you know, you chalk up the, <clears throat> the Falcons at home, you know, when the preseason schedule comes out and you chalk it up as a W. And it wasn't, you know, a, a squeaker of a win. It, it was a res- resounding statement of a win, getting the offense back on track. Um, so, yeah, good, good for Joe Burrow. We uh, it, it, quick flashback to our, you know, our show last week. We we predicted Burrow over his passing yards total, and he went over that total in the first half of the game. Yeah, that that one was a nice first half cash. We we always love to see those. Um, so those are two quarterbacks. Mahomes um, and Burrow, who you know are just really fun to watch when they're firing. Uh, but let's move on to some other teams who may not, you know, be firing on all cylinders as often as those two guys. Um, let's let's move on to what you thought was the most important win of the week, Pat. Yeah, I'm going to go with the uh, the Monday night Bears win over the Patriots on the road. So. Um, you know, Chicago coming into the season had one of the lowest, you know, preseason expectations of any team. And, and they, they won, they moved to three and four with a win on the road over the new England Patriots on Monday night. Uh, the, the knock on the bears coming into the season was that they have an awful offensive line and they're giving Justin Fields very poor pass protection as a result. Obviously the, the bears are ranked 32nd in the league in pass yards per game and 31st in explosive passing plays, uh, primarily in, you know, due to the Bears' offensive line's inability to protect Justin Fields. So, you know, looking at this matchup and heading into this game, the the Patriots were an eight-point favorite, and Bill Belichick has an incredible record straight up all-time and against the spread against first- and second-year quarterbacks. So it was a huge surprise to me to see the Bears win this game on Monday Night Football on the road by three scores. The Bears outgained the Patriots 390-260, to they rushed for 243 yards, and they won the time of possession battle 37 minutes to 23 minutes. They possessed the ball for nearly two of every three minutes in that game on the road, again, in Foxborough. 
they jumped out to an early 10-0 lead, but New England came back, scored a touchdown, forced a turnover, and converted that turnover into another touchdown to take a 14-10 lead, you know, kind of late in the first half. But Chicago showed some resilience, and they posted another 10 points before the end of the first half by establishing the running game and, you know, sort of taking what the, the, the Patriots' defense was giving them on defense. And then they came out in the second half. They held New England to just 68 yards on 21 plays. So again, I don't think anyone is, you know, going to put the bears in the category of, you know, maybe a sneaky playoff contender, but you know, a win on the road with uh, a young second year quarterback, you know, new head coach this year with a lot of question marks across their roster is, is a great win. So, um, you know, the bears, it, it's not looking like they're obviously going to go, you know, eight and nine or nine and eight, but, uh, it, it, it's a great win on Monday Night Football in primetime for the Bears. Yeah, absolutely. And this was a performance where you really saw Justin Fields sort of blossom right in front of our eyes into what people were hoping that he could be. On the road, hostile environment. Adam Schefter, even before the game, almost like laughingly like joked about um, someone, I, I don't remember who, picking the Bears. And he he kind of laughed it off like, oh, haha, like the Bears – Monday night football in new England winning this game. Like, I don't think so. And I mean, dare I say they dominated this game there. There came a point in the the middle of the third quarter where it, it was, it was over. It, it would have taken a colossal collapse and, and the defense looked great also. And obviously, you know, losing Robert Quinn here to this trade um, today is, is a little bit interesting, but no, that they, they looked great on Monday night. Absolutely. Uh, I'll move on here to my most important win, which I thought was the Seattle Seahawks taking the win on the road versus the Chargers. So the implications of this game are actually fairly interesting for the Seahawks. Um, The NFC West and the NFC as a whole, as we'll discuss later during the power rankings for the NFC as well, is absolutely wide open. Um, And, every win almost seems like so in the AFC it feels like the losses kill you in the NFC it feels like the wins are are so big because it almost feels like nine wins is going to going to be good enough to get you a playoff spot here with like so many teams sitting at three and four right now um we'll touch on it later Tampa Bay leads their division at three and four so you know unexpectedly solid start for the Seahawks starting three and three nobody really saw it Geno Smith kind of coming out of nowhere um And coming into this game, they were staring down a really tough stretch going into their bye week, which was away at the Chargers, hosting the 6-1 and New York Giants, at the Cardinals with DeAndre Hopkins back, and you saw that offense look great on Thursday night. And then at Tampa Bay, who, if they continue on their current trajectory, will probably be pretty desperate come this game to kind of, you know, stay relevant as one of the top teams in the NFC. Um, this could have easily been a stretch that totally buried the Seahawks. Uh, you know, Gino's Cinderella story, all this once and for all buried, dead, done, gone. Just, oh yeah, this is, we knew the Seahawks were going to be like this. And instead they sit here leading the NFC West. They have given themselves a bit of a cushion heading into that tough stretch. And I, they're, they're right there. Um, you know, the, the Chargers heading into this game, obviously one of the best passion, uh, passing attacks already this year, ranking fifth in yards per game and eighth in explosive pl- explosive pass plays, excuse me, um, heading into this game. And they got their best wide receiver in Keenan Allen back, who's one of the one of the best in the league. Um, the Chargers have an offensive line that was allowing the fewest sacks in the league and an offense that turns the ball over the second fewest times in the league heading into this game. And here come the Seattle Seahawks perfectly game planning this game. And, um, you know, this Chargers defense has shown that they've been a little bit weak against the rush 23rd in rush yards per game allowed and 31st in yards per carry allowed heading into this game. And boy, did the Seahawks stick it to them. They ran the ball 34 times to just 27 passes. You watched Kenneth Walker absolutely dominate this game. 168 and two touchdowns, including a 74 yard score with three, excuse me, 74-yard touchdown with seven minutes left, putting the Seahawks up three scores to basically end this game. They controlled the ball all game, time of possession, 34 minutes to 26 minutes. And 
this felt like what could have been a turning point in most likely people thought the down direction for the Seahawks. And here they are, you know, um, solidly in the playoff picture through, through seven weeks. Yep, for sure. I I think Seattle's biggest liability is going to be their defense, but you know, they, they shut Justin Herbert down enough to, uh, you know, hold uh, the Chargers' offense intact. And I think if you look on the offensive side of the ball, Seattle, you know, is sort of doing what Pete Carroll always has wanted them to do. They're, you know, top 10 in the league in rushing yards per game. They lead the league in yards per carry, fifth in the league in explosive runs, um, you know, over 10 yards, and, you know, third in the league in yards per play. They're doing a really good job on third down, uh, you know, moving the chains and, you know, sixth in the league in yards per attempt. So I agree. I think that, you know, it, it's an important win for Seattle to beat the Chargers, who are sort of a name brand team. But, um, you know, a win is a win in the NFL. And I, I agree. I think it's, it's a great win for Seattle, you know, coming up on the midpoint of the season. Yeah. And, and I mean, this Seattle, this Seattle team, um, you know, 37 this week, 19 the week before in a weird game against Arizona put up 32 against New Orleans, 48 against Detroit and 23. And that's even going further back to Atlanta. Like that is a lot of points. This team is not going to be so easy to beat if they're putting up 30 plus every week. Yep. Um, but anyways, enough about week seven, moving on to this upcoming week, week eight. Uh, let's go into some, some picks here, Pat. Um, let's start with um, your favorite team favorite team side uh underdog favorite whatever whatever you like yep i'm gonna go 49ers minus one at the la rams on the road so let's start with the rams the rams are unbelievably banged up on the offensive line i've sort of been beating that drum all season and it it got worse for them in their you know before the bye against the panthers they lost uh joe note boom to an early excuse me to an injury early in that game and now they have four players who started at some point on their offensive line this season, now on the IR. And they enter a Week 8 matchup with San Fran with an absolutely you know revolving door sort of offensive line. And I think if there's one matchup in this game that's going to decide the game, it's going to be the Rams' offensive line against San Fran's defensive line. So the Rams obviously are you know really struggling to protect Matt Stafford. They rank 28th in the league in sacks allowed and 30th in the league in QB hits allowed. And they're going to welcome San Fran's pass rush, uh, you know, into L.A. this week. San Fran ranks second in the league in pass rush and uh, total sacks and fourth in QB hits. So I think on that matchup alone, I, I just like San Fran to bounce back. Obviously, um, you know, we're, we're looking at a San Fran team that's on a two-game skid. They spent, you know, over 10 days on the East Coast playing Carolina and then playing the Falcons, losing to the Falcons by two scores. And then they come home, you know, after that long road trip out to the East Coast and kind of just lose gas. They, they lost the win in their sales in the second half against the Chiefs, and it looks like, you know, a really bad loss against the Chiefs at home. But I think, you know, the way the schedule sort of played out, uh, it, it played out against the favor of the Niners, and that was sort of just a scheduled loss that was a function of, you know, the sequence of, you know, where they were playing games and who they were playing after a long road trip. Um, but again, I, I, I expect San Fran to bounce back this week. If you look back to the matchup with the Rams in early October in San Fran, the Niners sacked Stafford seven times, and I, I really just expect their defensive line to, to continue to derail the Rams' offensive scheme. And I think that, again, with Jimmy G at the helm, I think he removes the the level of explosiveness that this offense you know has with him under center but Jimmy G does a good job of you know putting the ball in playmakers hands Debo had a great game against the Rams earlier in the season and I expect Christian McCaffrey to continue to uh, sort of get weaved into this offensive scheme and I I like the 49ers in this matchup I'm not a big historical trend guy but over the last six games uh, between the Rams and the 49ers Kyle Shanahan has uh, Sean McVay's number. He's five and one straight up. So I'm going to take the 49ers to bounce back this week. 49ers minus one on the road at the Rams. Yeah, this is one, um, like you said, it, it always feels like a weird pick coming into, into this game every, every year. Obviously they meet twice a year, but it always feels like the Rams are probably the better team coming in. And then you watch that game on Sunday or whenever it's played. And it's always the Niners winning that game. Um, you know, in the past few years, over the past couple of years, this has been a game that typically feels like it's 
going to be whoever wins this game is probably going to have the leg up in the division. Interestingly enough, as I just talked about the Seahawks sitting at four and three now and the Cardinals sitting at three and four, this almost feels like it's weirdly even more important this year um, for keeping pace in the division, which is um, a, a little bit, um, a little bit different. So it'll be interesting to see this one. Yep, for sure. Uh, moving on to my favorite team side. My favorite team side this week is your Philadelphia Eagles minus six points in the first half against the Pittsburgh Steelers. So first half, you know, obviously sometimes a, a weird one to look at right off the bat, but let, let me explain here. So we've seen this all season long with this Eagles team. They absolutely just gash teams early, get out to huge leads and then kind of take their foot off the gas. Um, the Eagles are six of six um, first half money lines. They're, they've been leading after their, um, the first half in all six of their games, they've led by at least six points in five of those six games. And um, they've only then moving into the second half, they've only actually won the second half one time out of the six games. W- did they outscore their opponent in the second half? One other time they, they scored the same number of points as their opponent, but um, the Eagles have been super strong in the first half and kind of just played not to lose in the second half. Um, the Eagles are first in the league in first half point differential at plus 78. The Steelers are 27th sitting at minus 32. Uh, the Steelers have been trailing at halftime in four out of their seven games. The three games they were not trailing at halftime were against the Bengals week one, which was a Bengals offense that looked out of sorts with a, a new offensive line that was kind of being patched together. And TJ Watt just absolutely blowing up everything they were trying to do. Uh, the Browns um, and Tampa Bay last week, which was amidst some weird Brady controversy drama. Um, and, you know, Tampa Bay also weirdly enough are actually only 22nd in first half differential. So um, Eagles, awesome first half team Steelers significantly below average first half team. Um, and then just overall, right. This is a statistical mismatch across the board for the Eagles. Um, just to name a few of these on the Eagles offense versus the Steelers defense side of the ball, um, Eagles offense, fifth and third down conversion percentage to just 23rd in third down conversion percentage allowed for the Steelers Eagles offense, second in percentage of their drives that are reaching the red zone Steelers 23rd in allowing their opponents to reach the red zone. Um, Eagles fourth in yards per attempt passing uh, Steelers allowing the 25th most, excuse me, the 25th. Yeah. Most yards per attempt allowed. Um, so, you know, getting gashed in, in the passing game and the Eagles have been gashing um, on the other side of the ball, the flip side, the Eagles defense against the Steelers offense, Eagles defense, fifth in defensive efficiency, Steelers offense 30th. So just across like kind of just overall picture, um, Eagles defense third in yards per play allowed Steelers offense dead last 32nd in yards per play on offense Eagles defense fifth in passing yards per game allowed Steelers offense with this kind of weird rotating quarterbacks between Trubisky Pickett, whoever it's going to be. Um, they rank 25th in pass yards per game Eagles coming off a bye. I expect them to be up for this game, come out firing, be prepared to just ruin an inferior opponent. And I expect the Eagles to be leading by a lot at halftime. Yep, I agree. I, I think you, you know, sort of hit the nail on the head in, you know, each of these matchups and mismatches between the Eagles and Steelers this week. So I, I agree. The Eagles have, there, there's no reason to not back the Eagles on, um, you know, the first half spread. So I, I agree. I think I expect them to jump out to an early lead and kind of coast after that. So that's going to lead All me right, into... Let's, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, that, so that's going to lead me into we're, we we both you know named our favorite sides of the week. So let's move on to our favorite overs and unders, and it's a natural segue for my favorite over under. I'm going under 43 in the Eagle Steelers for a lot of the same reasons that Ethan just mentioned. I think that the Steelers are going to be doing a lot of uphill sledding on the offensive side of the ball, and I think that the Eagles just have a great matchup with the Steelers in this game to keep this number under the total of 43. 
Um, the way the Eagles have sort of, you know, won their games and, you know, jumped out to a 6-0 and start in this season is they come out hot in the first half, they build a big lead and sort of turn off the gas in the second half. And I, I expect this game to follow a similar, similar script against the Steelers. So let's look at the Steelers offense. I won't, you know, rehash a lot of what Ethan just said, but I thought Kenny Pickett played relatively well in Sunday Night Football on the road in Miami, but th- this offense just lacks identity when you look at the metrics up and down the board. They're 30th in offensive efficiency, 32nd in yards per play, 25th in passing yards per game, 27th in rushing yards per game, 26th in the percentage of their drives that advance to the red zone, and when they do get to the red zone, they're 26th in the league in converting those red zone trips into touchdowns. They're facing an Eagles defense that is very fast, very talented at every level of that defense and gets after the quarterback. The Eagles are fifth in defensive efficiency, third in yards per play, fifth in passing yards allowed, third in explosive passing plays allowed, eighth in sacks, tenth in QB hits, and second in turnovers per game. So Pittsburgh had a tough matchup on, on defense against you know last week against Tua, and they held Miami to 4-14 on third down and zero points in the second half. On the opposite side of the ball, they had a reasonably favorable matchup against Miami's defense that ranks 30th in the league in defensive efficiency. And what did they do? They only posted 10 points with three interceptions, each of which were at very inopportune times. So against, you know, one of the bottom five defenses in the league, Pittsburgh only posted 10 points. If you look to, you know, what would be a similar comp for the Eagles defense, you look back to Kenny Pickett's first game, um, of his career, or first start of his career against you know a top five defense in Buffalo, and the Steelers only posted three points. So, uh, if if you just isolate the Steelers' offense and their inability to score points, I think that's going to be a huge part of keeping this total under the forty three. And if you combine that with the fact that you know you sort of expect, and if you want to script how this game is going to go, the Eagles jump out to you know an early two to three score lead at halftime and and sort of cruise after that. I think um, this number will go under the forty three. Um, so that, that's my favorite total of the week under 43 Eagles Steelers. Yeah. I like this play a lot. Um, you touched on it there at the end, just game script wise. I think it's going to be hard. You touched on it and and I touched on it a little bit too. It's just going to be hard for the Steelers team to put up points against an absolutely loaded and tough Eagles defense and game script wise, the way the Eagles score points, they score in bunches in the first half and then kind of coast. Um, and you know, 43 is obviously lower in the grand scheme of NFL totals, but I mean, if the Steelers can only muster up 10 points, uh, you know. 30 to 10 goes th- th- under. That could easily go under. I like it. Um, all right, my favorite over-under, um, yours was with the Eagles. Mine is with the Cardinals, funny enough. Um, I'm going Cardinals-Vikings over 49. Um, this is an interesting one. Uh, I'm going to start on the you know easier side of the ball to decipher statistically speaking, and that's the Vikings offense versus the Cardinals defense. Um, this is a clear advantage for Minnesota's offense. Um, Minnesota's offense currently sixth in offensive efficiency compared to the Cardinals defense at 26th in defensive efficiency. Minnesota, <laughs> excuse me, getting into the red zone, Um, At the eighth highest rate in the league, the Cardinals allowing their opponents to get into the red zone um, at only the 31st best defensively, um, kind of allowing their opponent to move the ball a lot. Uh, Minnesota eighth in sacks allowed per game. Cardinals only 27th in sacks per game. Uh, I will, you know, quick note, uh, I believe J.J. Watt's kid was born. um, So, you know, maybe a few more sacks in in line for J.J. Watt, we hope. But nevertheless, Cardinals defense given up the 25th most passing yards per game, um, 24th in yards per attempt and 29th in explosive pass plays allowed. Um, the Vikings offense is just an absolute pass happy offense. Um, and they only rank 25th in rush yards per game with Dalvin cook, one of the most dangerous backs in the league. Um, so that tells you kind of how their, their, uh, game script on offense goes, um, Moving to the other side of the ball, which is a little bit more difficult because statistically the Cardinals offense hasn't been, you know, as good as some might have expected, but uh, the Cardinals offense has life. The Cardinals offense has one man known as DeAndre Hopkins um, who came back from his suspension, made an absolute immediate impact, 10 receptions on 14 targets for 103 yards against the Saints um, on non-garbage time um you know, basically just not the last couple drives of the game when the, the cards were up three scores and we're just running the ball um, for three downs and then punting it back. Um, the Cardinals offense um, 
got into the red zone four out of eight of their drives. So they were really moving the ball against a pretty solid, uh, well, relatively solid Saints defense. Um, the Vikings defense on the other side is 28th in yards per play allowed, 29th in passing yards per game, and 32nd in yards per attempt, and 32nd dead last in allowing their opponents to score touchdowns when they get to the red zone. So I you know, expect in this game, both teams will be able to move the ball. Um, both teams have star wide receivers, uh, bottom seven pass defenses. I think that red zone chances will be, you know, prevalent will be available in this game. And if these teams are able to execute how they have so far this season, um, I see this game going well over the total. Yep. I totally agree. I think it's two high flying passing offenses. You know, you get Deandre Hopkins coming back for the Cardinals and, uh, they're both playing, you know, very, very below average passing defenses. I, I see no reason to take the under in this. I agree with you on over 49. Awesome. Yeah. Um, hopefully the Cardinals can can uh, put up some more points for us. Um, all right. Uh, quickly here. We have been very hot on player props. Um, knock on some wood here. But uh, let's go into our favorite player props real quick here. Pat, uh, who you got this week? Yep. I'm going to be looking at Derrick Henry over his rushing yards prop. I don't see a number out yet, but I'm, I like this number up to, you know, over a hundred up to one Oh five. So two years ago, Derrick Henry's rushing pop props were one of my favorite props to bet on a weekly basis. Derrick Henry was go, he was basically going for the, the all time, you know, rushing yards, um, you know, single season rushing yards record. And it, it was comical. I was getting him him at the, you know, high 80s, low 90s every week. Uh, everyone kind of caught on to that in 2021, and it wasn't as fun anymore. You know, the, those numbers, you know, the the prop kind of ticked up, and it was, you know, ticking up to 95 and 100. Um, and he was also dealing with an injury to his foot last year. So fast forward to this year, I feel like Derrick Henry is a little bit out of the spotlight with Saquon Barkley back, Josh Jacobs having a good year, and a bunch of other guys that are really, you know, kind of showing out this year. Derrick Henry ranks fourth in the league in rushing yards per game, but he's facing the league's worst rushing defense. So last week we touched on Josh Jacobs' great matchup with the Texans' defense, and Josh Jacobs absolutely ran over them. You know, Josh Jacobs' rushing prop was it closed around 81.5. He went for 143 yards on 20 carries, good for 7.2 yards per carry and three touchdowns. Um, this is against a Texans' defense that ranks 32nd in the league in rushing yards allowed per game at 166. 29th in the league in yards per carry and 32nd in the league in explosive running plays allowed. Derrick Henry is third in the league in the percentage of carries of rushing carries that are allocated to him getting nearly 77% of the touches when Tennessee turns to the run game. Tennessee also ranks fifth in the league in rushing play percentage at nearly 52%. So on, you know, over half of their plays from the offensive line of scrimmage, they're running the ball. And on 77% of those running plays, Derrick Henry is getting the ball. Derrick Henry ran for 128 yards on 30 carries last week in a 19-10 win over the Colts. And Mike Vrabel, after the game, said this, that, you know, talking about Derrick Henry on the run game, he said, that's going to be the formula. If you guys haven't figured that out, that's going to, that's how we're going to have to play. So, um, you know, just a general life hack. When someone tells you who they are, believe them. And Mike Vrabel obviously told you that we're a running team and we're going to rely on Derrick Henry. So I, I have no reason not to believe the Titans. And, you know, with a great matchup against the Texans this week, I think Derrick Henry is going to, run over this defense. If you look back in Derrick Henry's last three games since December 2019 against the Texans, he's done he's done the following. So December 2019, he went for 32 carries for 211 yards and three rushing touchdowns. In October of 2020, he went for 22 carries, 212 yards and two touchdowns. And as recently as January of 2021, he went for 34 carries, 250 yards, and two touchdowns. So if we're if we're doing a verbal metaphor, Derrick Henry is the steamroller and the Texans defense is the asphalt this weekend. If this number goes over, you know, 100 up to 105, I like the number and I like Derrick Henry to be the excuse me, the centerpiece of the Titans offense this weekend against the worst rushing defense in the league, Derrick Henry over the rushing yards prop. I'm going to be checking it, you know, every hour, every day until it gets released and I'm going to bet that as soon as I see a number. Yeah. I mean, Henry is the, you know, epitome of the workhorse back. Um, I've talked to some of my friends before about um, how some teams should hire me as their common sense coordinator. 
um, my common sense tip, this is free for you, Mike Vrabel, if you, if you hear this, uh, my common sense tip for you, it seems like you're catching on though, is uh, give Derek Henry the ball 30 times a game. Um, it seems to work pretty well. Um, so yeah, could, could uh, I absolutely love this play as well. Um, my favorite player prop of the week um, is a two for one package deal here. And that is Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle, both over their receiving yards prop. I would expect or hope Tyreek Hill's prop is around 90, 95 Waddle's around 70, 75. I'm hitting both those overs. Um, this duo has been so dynamic to start the year. Absolutely lit up NFL secondaries. Um, Tyreek Hill ranks first in receptions, first in receiving yards per game, first in pass plays greater than 10 yards and ninth in yards after the catch. Jalen Waddle ranks fifth in receiving yards per game, eighth in pass plays greater than 10 yards and 11th in yards after the catch. Um, this duo combines for 52% of the team's targets and 67% of the team's receiving yards. Um, and 67% of the team's receiving yards on one of the best passing offenses in the league. Um, the Dolphins rank fourth in pass yards per game, third in yards per attempt, and second in explosive pass plays, even with all of the, you know, rotating quarterbacks between Tua, um, Bridgewater, and even Skylar Thompson. Um, they have a great matchup against the Detroit defense. This is a defense we've bet against already this year. Um, they are, you know, Detroit is 31st in yards per attempt allowed, 24th in explosive pass plays allowed. They only rank 22nd in pass yards per game allowed, which isn't isn't good, but it's better than the other two stats. But that's probably because the Dol or excuse me, the Lions have been down um, in a lot of games and teams aren't passing the ball as frequently um, as they might in other games. Um, the Dolphins really don't run the ball. They're 29th in rush yards per game. Um, back to Detroit's defense and their downfalls against the pass um, and offenses in general. They are 31st in third down percentage allowed, 25th in turnovers forced per game, 30th in sacks per game. Um, this is a Detroit defense that is getting absolutely roasted in the passing game. They don't force turnovers. They don't get to the quarterback. They allow their opponents to complete third downs, keep drives alive. Um, and, you know, that has led to, in the Lions' last three games, um, they allowed uh, DK Metcalf to go for 149, who averages 67. This is 67 is his average before his 12 from last week when he kind of got injured. Um, so Metcalf for 149 and Tyler Lockett for 91. This is a duo. Uh, Lockett averaging 67. They allowed the Patriots, Jacoby Myers and Hunter Henry to go for 111 and 54 respectively. Um, Myers averages 71. Hunter Henry averaging 24. Um, these are guys smashing their receiving props. Duos against this this defense. Um, and then last week, the um, the Cowboys ran the ball against them 32 times and CeeDee Lamb still managed CD lamb and Noah Brown still managed to get to their season averages. CD got 70 yards averaging 68. Noah Brown got 50 averaging 48. Um, I, I just think the dolphins are going to throw it early and often. And I think that this Detroit defense has enough holes to allow both of these guys to go way over their prop. Yep. These guys are so fast and so explosive that, you know, you could have two catches from each of these guys that get you over, you know, whatever their props end up, you know, getting released at. So, uh, they, they account for such a large percentage of their team's offensive production. So, I again, I, I don't think there's any reason to not take, you know, either one or both of these guys to hit the over this week against the Lions. Yeah, and it's one of those things, too, that if you're Mike McDaniels, like, why why would you not pass the ball? The, the, the two guys just open up other doors for each other. You can't double team anyone because the other one will burn you. They both have down the field speed, quickness and short yardage routes. Um, it, it's a really, really dangerous duo. And it's opened up a lot of options for the, for the Dolphins offense. That looks really good to start the year. Um, all right. So those are our picks for week eight. Um, let's move into our power rankings for the NFC, Pat. Um, we did this for the AFC last week and we were pretty similar. We're a little bit, more or actually I should say a lot more different on the NFC power rankings, which makes sense. There's a lot of more, you know, fluidity in the middle of this NFC rankings. Um, but 
real quick, let's just go through and give your top seven, and then we'll kind of touch on on the various teams and, and the differences. Um, so I'll, I'll kick it off here. Um, for the NFC, I have number one, I have the Philadelphia Eagles. Number two, I have the Minnesota Vikings. Three, I have the Cowboys. Four, the New York football Giants. Five, the Los Angeles Rams. Six, Tampa Bay Buccaneers and seven Green Bay Packers, and I may get roasted for those last three, um, giving those guys the benefit of the doubt. Uh, but those are my top seven. Uh, why don't you go through yours, Pat? Yep. From the top, I think we're in agreement. The Eagles are the best team by you know head and shoulders above everybody else in the NFC. Eagles at number one. I got the Dallas Cowboys at number two in the NFC. Behind the Cowboys, I have the San Francisco 49ers at number three, followed by the Vikings, the New York football giants, the Bucks, and the Packers. All right. So, um, yeah, that, that, uh, we're in agreement at least with the, the Bucks and the Packers. I know I threw the Rams in there, but l- let's start from the top and work, work our way through this. Um, I'll start with the Eagles. We we've touched on this team plenty. Um, they are one of three teams in the league with a top five offense and defense, along with Buffalo and Cincinnati Eagles offense ranking third in efficiency, um, fifth in defensive efficiency. This team's undefeated. They clearly look the best. They're the most well-rounded team, um, relatively easy schedule as do the rest of the NFC East. Um, and I, I think the Eagles, there's no question that they're, they're going to cruise probably cruise to the playoffs here um, in the NFC. Uh, so let's move on to kind of some of the more interesting things. Um, you had Cowboys at two Vikings at four. I have the Vikings at two and the Cowboys at three. So I'll start with the Vikings and give my case for the Vikings. And then I'll, I'll pass it to you um, for your case for the Cowboys as to why you have them at number two. Um, so I, I gave the nod to the Vikings. Um, just, I, I mean, they're, they're five and one. Um, they are sixth in offensive efficiency, 15th in defensive efficiency, 15th, a l- little bit of a jump for the Vikings. Um, they've jumped out to this five and one start, despite some concerns here. Um, they've won four out of five games by one score. They're not great uh, defending the pass. They're 29th in pass yards per game allowed and 32nd in yards per attempt allowed. They're also 32nd dead last in red zone touchdown percentage allowed. Um, their only loss is to the Eagles. And what that tells me is that this offense is dangerous. This defense is average so far. They've been finding ways to win games despite concerns. And that scares me for the rest of the NFC. If the Vikings are able to kind of pull themselves out and, and fix some of those, uh, some of those concerns. Yep. I, I, I think there's no reason to question the, the Vikings as, you know, one of the top five teams in the NFC. I just think that they have, you know, definite issues across the board of their last four games. They were, I think they've won their last four games. They were trailing within the last five minutes of three of those last four wins. So the record says five and one, but you know, what's sort of happening on the field is that they're squeaking out wins and they're winning close games. And again, you know, we always talk about it. Wins are wins in the NFL, but I I think their pass defense is their biggest liability here. They really struggle to defend the pass and they showed that, you know, when they played the Eagles on Monday night football in week two, and I think that's going to continue to be a big liability for them, uh, you know, down the stretch. And it, it's sort of cliche to, you know, pivot to Kirk Cousins, but the guy does not play well in big games. He doesn't play well in non or in road games that, um, you know, don't start at one o'clock. And I think that time is a flat circle in some spots. And I think Kirk Cousins is just not the guy that's going to lead the Vikings to a deep run in the postseason. Again, I, I will acknowledge that they're a good team. I just don't have them in the top three in my rankings in the NFC. Completely understandable. Um, and I know uh, I'll turn it over to you here. I know you have the Cowboys here at number two. I have them at number three, largely because of the defense. I'm sure um, you feel the same way about the Cowboys. Yep. I think that the Cowboys have a similar trajectory in their season as, you know, we've sort of scripted the Bengals season going in that their offense has sort of struggled to get going early in the season. They rank 23rd in the league in offense efficiency, but they've been missing Dak since week one of the season uh, on the opposite side of the ball. They rank first in the league in our defensive efficiency metric. And obviously defense is incredibly important late in the season. So if their defense continues to play at the level that they're playing and Micah Parsons continues to, you know, wreck games, if Dak can sort of settle in and, you know, sort of guide this offense to a, a scheme that really works for them to play complementary football with their defense, I think, 
you know, Dallas, Dallas is a, a, a well-rounded roster that's got, you know, playmakers, uh, you know, at the wide receiver position. They have a, a really good, um, you know, duo in the backfield in Ezekiel Elliott and Tony Pollard. And again, Dak, I don't think anyone will acknowledge as a top five quarterback in the NFL, but he's, uh, he's above average. And if he, ha- if he's able to play complimentary football with a good running game, I think Dallas is definitely going to be able to continue to manufacture wins the way that their defense is playing. Yeah, I completely agree. I have the Cowboys in my top three as well. I think it's going to be a, a theme here with these NFC teams, most of which who outside of the Eagles don't really look as complete per se. I think it's going to be a pretty common theme here that each of these teams kind of does something very well. And if they can patch up the rest of the things around that, uh, you, know, you know, one thing that, that these teams do very well, a lot of these teams could be dangerous. Um, the Cowboys, when you got Micah Parsons, who is, you know, maybe the MVP at this point. Um, but I mean, that guy is just a game wrecker and, and teams have to spend so long to game plan for him. Um, it, it just, when you have a guy like that, it, it, make, it makes a huge difference. Um, but, but yeah, um, Cowboys defense, um, number one in offensive or defensive efficiency, excuse me. Um, touching next, on so I, I want to come back to the Niners at the end for you, Pat, because you have the Niners here sitting at three. I don't have the Niners in my rankings, um, which is uh, you know kind of the only one that we're that far um, you know different on. So I, I think let's touch on the Niners at the end. Um, let, let's move to the Giants here. I have them at four. You have the Giants at five. Um, Giants sitting at 18th in offensive efficiency, 12th in defensive efficiency. This team has been led. Two six and one by one of the most dangerous rushing attacks in the league, Saquon Barkley back and looking better than ever. The Giants rank second in rush yards per game, sixth in yards per carry, third in explosive rush plays. Um, this is a, an above average defense, actually that that just lives and dies by the bend don't break mentality. Um, they are twenty eighth in rush yards per game allowed and twenty eighth in percentage of drives for their opponent that reach the red zone, but. They are seventh in third down percentage allowed and fourth in red zone touchdown percentage allowed. So while they give up some yards um, and allow teams to move the ball a little bit, they're really great at stopping teams on, on third downs and getting off the field when they need to and stopping teams when they get to the red zone, holding them to field goals. That's a key to keeping themselves in the game. And you've seen this um, with this team that they're kind of just always there. Um, and, you know, the knock on Daniel Jones has been that he turns the ball over and, 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 the Giants offense right now turning the ball over at the eighth lowest rate in the NFL. Um, and just this team is kind of showing you that sometimes all it takes is not shooting yourselves in the foot and you can pull out a few games here and there uh, in the NFL and the Giants have kind of embodied that to the max. Yep. It, it pains me to say it again, as an Eagles fan sitting in the NFC East talking about the Cowboys and now the Giants, I, I think that the Giants are doing exactly what you just touched on, Ethan, and it's not shooting themselves in the foot. I think that, you know, throughout the course of his short career with the New York Giants, Daniel Jones has been unbelievably bad at taking care of the football. And, you know, Brian Dable's come in and he, I think he's kind of maximized Daniel Jones's, you know, capability under center. Uh, they have Saquon Barkley back and he's obviously a game breaker, objectively one of the most exciting players to watch in the NFL. And, you know, having him back on the field is, is paying huge dividends for the Giants. Obviously on the defensive side of the ball, they also rank 12th in league in defensive efficiency. And just from, you know, an, an, an entire roster standpoint, I just think Brian Dable is, you know, is bringing a, a jolt of energy to this roster and is really maximizing the, the personnel that they have on the field. And uh, it shows they're, they're six and one, and it's not like they're beating up on the bottom teams in the league. They, you know, they have a win outright over the Giants in London. They obviously sort of squeaked out a win against the Ravens and sort of won as a result of the Ravens shooting themselves in the foot. But then they go down to Jacksonville where they're on the road as a, a three-point underdog last week, and they, they win by a score. So the Giants are a, a team that's trending up, and again, we've talked about it. They have, you know, they're sort of in salary cap hell, and, and Brian Dable is just, you know, maximizing the talent that they have on that roster. So I agree. I think the Giants are, you know, one of the top five teams in the NFC. All right, I'm going to skip the Rams here also because I have them at five. You don't have them in the rankings. It looks like we're just differing on our NFC West teams here, and it looks like we got a big matchup. Um, Niners and Rams, seemingly why you had the Niners uh, as one of your picks. 
Um, I'll go quickly through Bucks Packers. We both have them six, seven, even. I, I think the story overall storylines for these teams here is pretty similar. Um, solid team expected to be one of the better teams in the NFC star quarterback, you know, marquee guy, and they've just kind of come out flat um, on the buck side, um, ranked 20th in offensive efficiency, 20th in defensive efficiency, very, you know, right in the middle of the pack. Not what we expected from the bucks. Um, they've probably been the most surprising team um, in terms of their early, early year, you know, disappointment. Um, and yet here they are leading their division. Um, obviously that division is probably the worst in football, but you know, playoff spot to playoff spot. Um, their rushing attack has been absolutely non-existent 32nd in rush yards per game and yards per carry dead last in the NFL. Um, they've had a greatly decreased red zone performance since last season. Um, last season through the regular season, they ranked ninth in percentage of their drives reaching the red zone and second in converting those drives into red zone touchdowns. This year, they're 24th in percentage of drives reaching the red zone and 26th in red zone touchdown percentage. Um, their defense, after having a great start to the year, ranked fourth in defensive efficiency through week three, um, has significantly decreased. They now rank 31st in opponent red zone touchdown percentage allowed after being 12th through week three, and they rank 22nd in third down percentage allowed after being sixth through week three. Um, team looks a little out of sync. Here they are in the playoff picture. They have Tom Brady. Can't really count this team out. Um, rolling that right into the Packers, like I said, very similar story. 16th in offensive efficiency, 7th in defensive efficiency. Weirdly disappointing. Um, it looks like the Devontae Adams, you know, oh, you know, why are we surprised losing one of, if not the best receiver in football affects your offense? Well, last year through the regular season, Packers ranked second in offensive efficiency, eighth in yards per play, third in percentage of drives reaching the red zone. This year, 16th in offensive efficiency, 18th in yards per play, 23rd in percentage of drives reaching the red zone. Um, you know, there's just struggling to move the ball. It, it seems like without Adams, without Rogers go-to guy, um, you know, bright spot here for the Packers, their red zone efficiency has actually increased last season. They ranked 18th in red zone touchdown percentage this year, ninth top 10 in converting red zone trips into touchdowns. Um, their defense is also definitely taking a step up last season, 19th in defensive efficiency this season, seventh in defensive efficiency. Um, their defense still struggling a bit against the rush and, and, and struggling to force turnovers, uh, but they've been the best one of, if not the best passing defense this year, uh, first in pass yards per game allowed and third in explosive pass plays allowed. Again, similar story to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Um, just came out flat to start the year. Um, so we agree on Bucks six, uh, Packers seven. So I want to kind of circle back here to our NFC West um, teams. Um, you know, I, I think it's a little early for the Cardinals defense doesn't look up to par yet. And I, I will note that neither of us have the Seahawks here. Um, and I think probably for similar reasons in that, um, you know, they are 25th in offensive efficiency, 25th in defensive efficiency. I think maybe uh, both of us kind of see this tumbling down, but um, we'll save the Seahawks, um, you know, rooting for Gino. He, he looks nice, but uh, Pat, I want you to go into the, the Niners here. Um, why do you have the Niners over the Rams and why do you have the Niners um, at third in your NFC power rankings? Yep. So obviously the, the 49ers are, you know, at three and four right now as it stands through the first seven weeks of the year. But I, I just think this team has a lot of talent at a lot of different positions throughout the roster. I think that their defense is, you know, a, a very, very good unit. I think that they've had some injuries to their secondary over the last couple of weeks that are going to, you know, hurt them down the stretch if they can't get back and healthy. Uh, but I, I think they have a really strong pass rush, and I, I think their defense as a whole is, you know, just really strong with a, a you know, a pass rush headlined by Nick Bosa. Um, one of my favorite metrics to, you know, sort of gauge an overall team's effective, effectiveness is net yards per play, and the 49ers, regardless of whether or not they're three and four, are still top eight in the league in net yards per play differential. Uh, you know, they just add Chris McCaffrey into the mix. And again, I, I think Jimmy G going into, you know, under the helm, I think removes a lot of uncertainty with 
what they're going to do on offense. They don't need to, you know, recreate their offensive identity on the fly. And I think that Kyle Shanahan's a great offensive coach and he's really going to scheme up, you know, continue to get the ball in into Debo Samuel's hands and, you know, get Christian McCaffrey involved in the offensive scheme as time goes on. But I, I think this is just a very well-rounded team that went through a little bit of a rough, rough patch, uh, partially as a function of their schedule. Again, we talked about the 10 day plus trip out to the East coast and then facing the chiefs, um, you know, right as you get home off a loss. I just think that San Fran is, is very well-rounded, very well-balanced and uh, a roster that is very well-constructed to make a, a deep run into the NFC playoff picture. Yeah, I, I can see that. Uh, my concern with the Niners and, and, and one of the main reasons that I have the Rams here over them it is a lot of the injury stuff. Um, if you had asked me uh, three weeks ago, right after the Niners kind of dominated the Rams start to finish on Monday night football, I for sure have the Niners slated in here above the Rams. Since then, both these teams only win is actually against the Carolina Panthers who look like probably the worst team in the league. Um, and the Niners lost to Atlanta and lost a couple key pieces in that game and then kind of got dominated by Kansas City. Obviously, Kansas City is in a different tier than both of these teams. I think we can both agree on that. Um, the reason I have the Rams here is while they are 21st in offensive efficiency, they've, um, you know, been horrible in the rushing game, 31st in rush yards per game, 31st in yards per carry, and have really struggled to find a solid number two behind Cooper Cup. Um this is a ridiculously elite defense still um, fourth in defensive efficiency star power all over the field. You know, obviously Aaron Donald, Jalen Ramsey, but um, this defense ranks top 10 in pretty much every category. Um, they rank second in percentage of opponents reaching drives, reaching the end zone and second in their opponents scoring, converting those red zone trips into touchdowns. Um, like, if you don't let your opponent get into the red zone and when you happen to, you don't let them score touchdowns, you're going to be in every game. It doesn't matter. And I think they're just missing that one piece, you know, ironically enough, that Odell Beckham um, piece that really helped them win the Super Bowl last year. And I think that if, you know, this is an offense that was third in offensive efficiency last year, if they can get anywhere close, uh, I don't expect this offense to get back to that level, but if they can get anywhere close to their form from last year, I think this team is extremely dangerous. Um, but I think the overall takeaway here from these power rankings is that the NFC is absolutely wide open. Um, you know, you kind of got the Eagles separating themselves at the top and you got a couple teams with surprisingly good records in Minnesota, New York, and Dallas. I say Dallas because no Dak and still here they are at five and two. Um, after that, the LA Rams slot in the seventh seed in the NFC at three and three. And then you got San Francisco, Green Bay, Atlanta, Washington, Arizona, and Chicago all sitting at three and four. Um, we're talking about Atlanta, Washington, Chicago, expected to be three of the worst teams in the league, sitting right there, half a game out of the playoff picture in the NFC. So it's going to be really fun to see how this unfolds for the rest of the season in the NFC. Uh, Pat, should we go through the uh, model plays here real quick? Yeah, let's jump over to our model place. So through through the first three weeks of the models being active, obviously uh, the parameters of our back testing are week five and on. We are ten and five, which is sixty seven percent, and we have seven plays this week. So Ethan, why don't you why don't you run through um, our model plays for the audience? Yeah, ten and five, not so bad. Sixty seven percent. That's going to beat every book out there. Um, but model plays for this week, um, we got Dallas Chicago over. Uh, we got New Orleans, Las Vegas under. We got Pittsburgh, Philadelphia under. We got Miami, Detroit under. We have New England, New York Jets under. And then we're closing it out with two overs with San Francisco, Los Angeles Rams, as well as the Sunday Night Football Buffalo Bills versus Green Bay Packers game. We have the over in that as well. Just a reminder. Uh, follow us on Twitter and go to sporting-intelligence.com before Sunday uh, kickoff to sign up for our matchup analysis, player stats and models dashboards um, on a free month trial before Sunday. Um, Pat, looking forward to another awesome weekend of football. We are in the heart, the heat of the season. 
and it is only getting better. Yep. Looking forward to week eight. And again, uh, the, the reason why we built all these, you know, matchup analysis dashboards and player dashboards is as you know, the weeks run by pretty quick here and you know, the middle of the fall, we're giving you uh, a, an impartial and objective look at what each team does well and doesn't do well. So we encourage everyone who's been listening to us through the, you know, the start of the season to take a look at the tools that we have on our site and, you know, utilize them to the best of your ability. They tell you what, who's doing, you know, what well and who's, you know, not doing anything well. So um, we're really excited about those being up and running. And, you know, again, we encourage everybody to go take a look at what we've created for you guys. So Ethan, great show. Looking forward to week eight and, you know, let's, let's keep watching football. Yep. Go Phillies, Pat. Let's go Phils. Mm -hmm.